37. Oh, number 37. Greatest Side Faithfulness, I'm calling. That's what the song we're singing. 37, How Great Thou Art.
Father, we are grateful, Lord, for the lesson, Lord, this morning. We talk about your greatness. And Lord, we know, Lord, Paul says that at that name, all knee would bow. Lord, we know when that name is announced, Lord, it's, not, it's going to be automatic for us that know you as Savior yes. to kneel. And a lot of people would have hard time, and, but they will. And Father, we look forward to that day, Lord, and, and, and help us, Lord, as we worship you this morning. Father, that we learn something from your message, Lord, to help us, Lord, to love you and serve you better. And uh, bless the needs that are here, Lord, and in, in our services, Lord. And then those who are watching, Lord, we pray, God, that uh, you would watch over them. We have several needs that we're, we prayed for, Lord, this morning. We pray, God, that you would undertake those needs, Lord, and, and be with us, Lord, as we worship, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's uh, sing our second song. We turn to number 149. 149. When we see Christ. Of times today seems long.
see Christ. We will. There will be no dark valley. Okay, numbers number 147. Turn back one page. Then we sang this. Four. sometimes sorrow, woe, one day it's all going to be over. Paul calls it light affliction. Affliction is very real, it's very true, it's very hurtful, it's very sorrowful, and uh, that song talks about sorrow, but it's all now. When you and I get to heaven, it won't be sorrow there. It'll be bliss. It'll be joy there. But until we get there, we're going to have some sorrow here, which is not a pleasant thought, but it is true. Um, we were talking about helping the Radford Wong family uh, their son Boaz was born and had uh, to be in ICU, but he's better today, which is a blessing. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, so there's two needs you can do to help with the uh, Ratham family. One of our missions we support in San Francisco, and one is of course uh, uh, contribute to their mule train. I never heard of mule train until yesterday. I've heard of mule train, but not a mule train. But a mule train, you can help give to that, uh, donate to that cash. They can spend it for ordering food. Is better than them getting gift cards because some gift cards are not applicable in their area, and so that'd be a blessing to them. And then, of course, um, he has the second thing that you can help with, uh, Amazon, what do you call those things, uh, wish list kind of thing. Uh, it's things for the baby boy. When he goes home, I think they need a crib and they need some other things with uh, that kind of stuff. And so if you'd like to help with that, uh, feel free to do so. If you have questions about that, ask my wife and she can give more details about that. But it'd be a blast to help somebody who has a need. And uh, if you have a few extra dollars here and there, uh, maybe you want to consider the sacrifice you're getting, fine. But just know that you're going to give to somebody who we know, that you know, um, that will use it uh, in the right way, and it'll be a blessing to them. Now, I know this. When somebody's down and out, sometimes all they need is just a, a God bless you and a hand on the shoulder uh, kind of thing, maybe even a hug. But uh, what is really helpful to is just a good meal. Somehow that just helps a lot. If you can do those things or just one of those things and so you should be happy you should be glad that you are on the giving side of things that's the truth Amen. that you're able to be on the giving side of things I would never wish some things that happen to people that happen to any of us but if it does happen uh, if there's a friend or two that can help if there's a church that can help out that'd be a blessing that we can do that uh, I don't know the total yet uh, Joan and whoever her uh, criminal buddy is uh, the Judas Ed that does the offering counts, then uh, they will know today what the offering totals were for the last two Sundays that was given for Grace Baptist Church in Lahaina. And so the church will add something to whatever you folks donated to give to that cause. And I'm sure they will appreciate that. Um, you can uh, pretty much understand how long it's going to be for them to recover, not only that church, but uh, people in general. And you can also imagine and appreciate the sorrow that some people are going through because they've lost uh, children, grandchildren, grandparents, parents in the fires. You can imagine how grievous that is and how can you express in words what it's like. It's really hard to. And so uh, do pray for the people there. Uh, we cannot really understand. But we don't have to really understand. We just know we can do something by praying for them and helping as much as we can. Uh, I'll just tell you that I'm glad that I'm able to do something. Uh, we helped uh, one of the person we helped the, uh, one of the assistants there and we have also given to help the, the church there. We've also helped with uh, uh, Radford Wong and his family. So we'd like to, and I'm glad that I can. Yeah. I'm glad that I can. It, it does mean sacrificing, not getting something else, not doing something else to do this. But I'm glad to do that because I know one thing. I know one thing. It's happening in my life as a Christian. God somehow always makes up for what I do in a, in a, in a generous way, in a sacrificial way. I never worry about thinking, I never think like this, just to encourage you. I never think like this. Oh man, I gotta, I gotta, you know, $20 seems like a lot when you hold it in your hand and you give it away. You know how funny life is? When you subtract things from your point in amount, it seems like, oh, it's just diminishing too quickly. And it's, it's, it's kind of funny when uh, it's time to give, it feels like, oh, I can't afford, but let me encourage you to not feel that way. Let me encourage you to think I am able to do that I'll do what I can, and only God knows what you can do. So I'm not going to pressure you. I'm just saying, don't, uh, don't, uh, don't feel like 
you're uh, throwing your money away because you're not. You're not. You're helping somebody, and that's a blessing. Okay. Uh, anniversary. Let's see. The Arblim family. You have an anniversary a couple of days from now, or something like that, or today. Tomorrow. How many years? Nine years. Uh, is your, your wife is here, right? She's somewhere back there. Yeah. Uh, your daughter's looking at me today. She smiled around that corner. She's looking. She's actually actually smiling on purpose. I did this. <laughs> she smiled at me. She had a real nice smile, a baby smile. Like she didn't know who I was. And so, congratulations. And uh, I think. Um, Kayla's got a birthday too, right? Not Gia, right? Yeah. Same day as yours, congratulations. All right, so do pray for them. It's always good to, uh, next January, we're gonna start our new tradition, which is an old tradition. I was gonna do it, my wife said, do it tomorrow, meaning today, I said, no. I said, she said, why not? Oh, well, here's the thing. We used to give out um, bottles of <laughs> apple cider. Apple cider, we used to give that. It looks like, you know, it's a celebratory thing. It's just a apple cider. We used to give it to uh, couples that had anniversary. Then we stopped doing that. I don't know what the reason was. And nobody said anything about it, so I just forgot about it. And then wife said, oh, we should do that tomorrow. I says, why? Well, because it's nice. I said, but why? And uh, she said, because it's nice to celebrate and honor and make it a big, I said, I know, but why? Why them? <laughs> I said, what about the people that had it last week and the week before? I mean, how will they feel? She said, yeah. But we can do it tomorrow and begin a new tradition. I said, no. I said, and she said, okay, okay, let's do it. Begin the new year. I said, well, that make it fair for everybody. So, nothing for you today and your wife. In January, we'll begin the new tradition, all right? Everybody happy or mad? Yeah, I don't really care, you know. I just wanted to find out. All right, let's go to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Well, so far we've covered a few verses in the book of Exodus and some things to just review before getting to today's message. Uh, we talked about how Moses was confronted by God. We talked about how Moses was called by God, how God said he cared for the people and he's going to do something about delivering them, and he would. And then uh, we got into this morning how Moses complained and, and re hesitated and uh, was not willing to go back to Egypt. We talked about that today. And so um, uh, he would go eventually, but we know that Moses was very intimidated, very afraid. And uh, today, at this time at chapter four, Moses continues to resist going back to Egypt. Chapter four, chapter four, verse number one of Exodus. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. Now, just like the book of Job, chapter 3 and 4 is a going back and forth. God says this, Moses comes back with, uh, I don't think so. God comes back with, well, here's why you should go. And Moses is not, it goes back and forth like that. And so in chapter four, Moses now says this to the Lord, um, I, I cannot go, uh, they won't believe me. 
And he anticipates the objections, the Hebrews, especially the elders. Uh, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto me. They will deny that I said what I say to them, that you appeared to me, you sent me here. But they won't believe that. And in verse number two, the Lord said unto him, What is in thine hand? What a good verse. What's in your hand? And he said, A rod. Well, he's a shepherd, isn't he? He's got a rod. Verse number three. And he said, Cast it to the ground, and you may know this famous chapter about what happens. <coughs> cast it to the ground, and he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. I would too. If I threw it on that bamboo stick and that thing turned to a snake and crawled toward me, I would run too. I'd run for the hills. I would say, first of all, wow, what great computer graphics. How great is this CGI now? They make things so realistic. There are two things that look real in, in computer-generated uh, imagery, water and fire. Or number three, smoke. Those elements look so real when you watch a production. It looks so real. It looks so real. And I just wonder about the tribulation, what role computers have to play with the Antichrist. I just wonder about that. I believe the Bible is literally to be taken, first of all. And some of the things that the Bible talks about in the tribulation, I take literally. But I do wonder, with the advent of high-powered technology, how they can make that is not real look real. I just wonder what that role will be in the tribulation. I know there'll be great deceivable, uh, people greatly deceived in tribulation. Perhaps it's involved with the miracles. Perhaps it's involved with uh, the two witnesses being killed and come back. Uh, uh, who knows what will be uh, involved. But I take it literally, but I just wonder with what I see now, what you see, how it is possible for the devil to use something like computers to deceive people. It's an interesting thought at least, isn't it? Just thinking out loud. And since you asked me, I'm just talking out loud. Now, verse number four. Moses fled from before. Verse four. And the, now this is not a computer graphic thing. This is a real thing. And verse number four. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thy hand. No. And take it by the tail. Okay. And he put forth his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand. Wow. Can you imagine that? I wonder if you can just imagine being there and watching that take place. If somebody could go back into time, people talk nowadays about space or time traveling, going back to the going to the, back to the past, going to the future. People talk about that now. Is that possible to travel into the past, into the future? People talk like that. I don't know if that's possible or not. What will it do to the physical body? I don't know. But I know one thing: what you're looking at really happened. And if, but if we could go back there and watch what happened, we go, oh, what kind of snake was it? Well, maybe it was a Kingston. Maybe it was whatever. It would turn into a snake. And so he picks it up again by his tail and it turned into a... Now, I don't know if you're old enough to remember Sesame the Mill made a production called, an epic production called uh, The Ten Commandments. What a scene that was when that thing straightened out again. For the time, for the era in which that production was made, pretty good graphics. And everybody back then was awed by what you saw the Red Sea and everything else. Nowadays, that kind of stuff doesn't make you get excited at all. That's, that's amateurish. That's like first generation Mickey Mouse kind of cartoons. Not impressive at all. I remember back in 1970s when the movie came out by Estes Perkel, 1970s, 1970, this would be 1974, five, six, around that time. Estes Perkel preached from Mississippi, put out a movie called The Burning Hell. 
Okay, captivating title. You know that Birmingham Productions plays in, plays in all kind of movies, uh, in all kind of churches, and on a Sunday night, people came by the droves to churches to watch this thing about the burning hell, and they showed maggots and worms and things like that. You know, they showed people, and it was very amateurish. It's very comical. It's very Bob Jones-ish productions, unusual films. It was very, like, but back then, we were not spoiled by what we see today. Therefore, it was kind of scary. A lot of people made profession of faith because they saw that, they saw themselves there. So it's quite different now. But here you see something that was real. And so God was doing something to help Moses to convince him to go. Look at verse number five. Um, it became a rod in his hand, verse five, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Verse six, and the Lord put, uh, said there furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand in thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was left as a snow. Watch up here. He put his hand into his bosom like this. Watch this. His regular hand like that. And he brought it out. That thing was white as snow. Like uh, He had leprosy. Then he says in verse number uh, 6, uh, verse number 7, and he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. So in he goes, out it comes, leprosy. Can you imagine his fear? <laughs> leprosy. Okay, Moses, put it back in. Bring it back out again. Oh, thank God, it's the regular hand again. <laughs> My hand again. Now, this is, this is the second miracle, the second demonstration of God's power to convince, to persuade Moses to go and, and, and tell them what happened. Now look at verse number eight. <coughs> and it should come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it should come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent. Now, he has given Moses plenty of reasons to go. He has tried to convince him by these miraculous things, these signs, and uh, that he should go and he should be able to convince the people. These things, the, 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 the run into a snake, a leprous hand, river water turned to blood. He counters Moses' objection and tells them, tell him, tell them what, will hap what happened Tell them what happened to you. And so, seeing is believing. Now, why is it that God made such an effort to convince the Jews by these miraculous signs? Why is it that he had to do that to convince Moses that you really are going to go and it's okay if you go because I'm telling you to go. Why did they need signs? Well, you remember this. Now, in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you have two verses that it tells you that it's just in the DNA of these people, they just don't want to believe or just cannot believe unless they see something, unless they experience something, then they will not believe. Now turn to those two verses. This is very important to not only understand what's going on here, but also to understand today how some people wrongly think they must have signs to believe. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. These are common verses that you ought to know. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
In regards to having things done so that you can believe, the Bible tells us very plainly in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Verse 22. For the Jews require, they must have, the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. Now keep that in mind and come to chapter 14 of this book. Chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. And come to verse number 22. Wherefore tongues are for a sign. Alright, you have some sign gifts at the early church in Corinth. And people think this is for us today. Wherefore tongues are for a sign. Not to them that believe, but for them or to them that believe not. So Paul makes a statement, the Bible makes a statement here that signs are required by Jews before they can actually say, I believe. And so for them, seeing is believing. Uh, for the Christian and for others, New Testament times, believing will actually result in you seeing something that is true. So the Jews require signs, and the Hebrews will not believe Moses unless uh, there's something to prove that he is from God. Moses himself would not believe that he is commissioned by God to go unless he himself experiences these signs, these miraculous signs. And so today, you don't need dramatic events to take place. You don't need a heart-stopping shock and all to believe what the Bible says, what God says. As a matter of fact, you're not the right people to desire signs to believe. Are you a Hebrew? Are you a Jew? You're probably a Gentile. Gentiles live by faith, not by sight. We don't need something to seek to convince us to believe. Now, as a matter of fact, in the Bible, in the New Testament, one of the Gospels, there is a man there's a man who died, went to a place called hell. And the Bible opens up the man co manhole cover for us to look into hell. And this man wants someone to come up from, from death, in the condition of death, in the condition of being in a place called hell, to come up to tell his brothers, he's got five brothers, about this awful place that he's in. And you know what is told of him? They have Moses and the prophets. If they won't believe that, they, they won't believe. They have the scriptures. They have the scriptures. In other words, this is what people need to be convinced by the Bible of eternal truth that you cannot see. You don't need to have a sign. A lot of people say, oh, if God, if you're there, do something. They want a sign. God, if you want me to do this, give me a sign. Lord, if this is what I should do, if this is what I should not do, give me a sign. We want signs. We want indication. We want some, some supernatural manifestation of God telling you yes or no or wait or something. But we don't have to live that way. You don't have to go by signs. You have to go by what the Bible says. The just shall live by. What's it? The just shall live by faith. faith. Faith to believe what God said. And then you will see it. Whatever that it is. And so Moses, he has to have signs. The Hebrew people, the elders that he will soon confront, they have to see signs. And so the Lord goes right back to him and tells him, look, let me give you this to help you out. Now look at chapter 4 of Exodus, chapter 4, verse number 10. 4, verse number 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Now if you're a speech therapist, you say he had a speech impediment of some kind. Maybe so. 
But he says, I'm not eloquent. He says, he's continuing, actually, I think, the thought earlier about I'm not qualified uh, argument. Uh, I, who, who am I? I'm not qualified. Who am I in chapter 3? Now he says, I'm not eloquent. Eloquence is about speaking. He says, I'm not a good speaker. I haven't been to uh, Toastmasters. I haven't been to a place where I learned how to speak in my diction, my enunciation of words. It's not so great. I mean, it's a hard time understanding what I'm saying. It's like I'm talking pigeon in Hawaii. What did you say? What, 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 what? You ever hear people talking pigeon? I had a friend I haven't seen for a long time. Uh, over in town, I was with someone, and then this guy came up to me. Hey, Pastor Singh. I said, hey, how's it? I called him by his name. And I said, why are you limping? <laughs> He's walking me. I said, I said, hey, why are you limping? He says, oh, man, I'm all, I'm all bust up. <laughs> I'm all bust up. You know what all bust up means? I'm all bust up. I'm busted. But it's, he doesn't put the, I'm all bust up. B-U-S as in bust city bust. I'm all bust up. <laughs> I'm all busted. I'm all, I'm all bust up. So local. So local. I said, what? You're a bust up? Oh, oh okay. I know what you mean. You're a bust up. Moses says, I, I, I'm not eloquent. I, I don't speak right. I don't speak well. Perhaps he stuttered. Maybe so. Not really sure. But ever, he's hesitant to go. He makes an excuse of here. And this is his third excuse. And uh, the Lord comes back with this. Verse number 11. 4.11. And the Lord said unto him, after he says, I'm not eloquent. The Lord says unto him, who hath made man's mouth. Now, one way to answer someone is to ask a question. It gets people thinking. And the Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth? Well, the obvious answer is God. Or who hath made the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now, therefore go. And so he's telling him, I am the one who designed you. I made you. I know what you're capable of doing. Okay, you're ready to go. You're, you're actually the raw materials of something that I can use. Maybe you don't feel like you're adequate. Maybe you feel like you're not capable. Maybe you feel like you're not you're not the right guy. I mean, maybe the fear of you, a shepherd man, facing the, the most powerful man at the time, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. Maybe you feel like that. There's too much to, to bridge, whatever. But he did say, I am not eloquent. I'm slow speech. I have a slow tongue. Maybe you can't think on your feet. Maybe you can't think quick enough. Well, I don't know about that, but I know he says, God says, I made you. I made you, I designed you for you. are the raw material. You're like a lump of clay and I'm the potter. And since I'm the potter, as Jeremiah says, I know what I can do with the lump of clay. And I made you a lump of clay and I will form you. I'll make you. I'll make you the something that you need to be so you can represent me. He says in verse 12, I will teach thee. Now therefore go and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. So it appears she didn't know what to tell the Pharaoh and the elders first of all. It appears he didn't know what he might say or what he should say. He's very hesitant. Some people, some people sometimes are afraid to try something because uh, they're afraid of failure or they're afraid of being caught off guard or they're afraid that they might uh, not do it just exactly right. There's a real fear like that. And Moses says, I, 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 I'm not eloquent. And uh, you know, my, my, one of my grandkids, uh, little Ethan over here, he's such a trip, Ethan. He talks like this now, uh, 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 Grandpa, I, 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 he, he does that. I, I, now, can you imagine an adult talking like that? But he talks like this, I, 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 my mama, can I, 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 he's, I, he repeats it, so he stutters like that. I said to Moran, I said, when did this start? I just noticed it you know, a few months ago. I, yeah, I, 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 
Grandpa, I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then plus he talks softly to me. Like he's got a little spit in his mouth. And now we're talking. Now I, what are you saying? Speak up. Say that again. Say so. Maybe Moses, I don't know, but Moses feels very intimidated about going. God says, wait a minute, Moses. I've heard that before. Look, who made your mouth? Who made you? You're my lump of clay. I'm a great potter. And I can shape you. And I've shaped you to go there and be my leader. And so... I will teach thee step by step in the field. I will be with thee, and I'm going to go with you. And look at verse 12 again. Now, therefore, after I have reasoned with you, Moses, go. What else can I tell you, Moses? Go already. Now, if he felt unqualified, I'll give you an example of a man who was totally unqualified, but then God qualified him. There's an apologist. An apologist is a man who defends the Christian faith against evolution, against questions about if there real God, so on, whatever, the, the whole scale, the whole spectrum of question. An apologist defends the Bible and defends the Christian faith. An apologist, an apologist who is very well known, and he has been at the beginning of defending the Christian faith decades ago. Many others have come after him, and there's some good ones today, And uh, but they all go back to this guy. Even... Um, one of the most well-known in the 70s. Uh, what is, I see his face, white hair. He's got a beaded necklace, wears a cross, looks like a hippie kind of guy from California. But uh, um, anyway, he learned a lot about defending the faith by this other guy. So this other is like the great-grandfather of the current crop of apologists defending the faith. Well, this guy, who is the great-grandfather of those today defending the faith, could not read until he went to college. He could not read until he entered his first year of college. Yet he's written so many books defending the Bible, defending the Christian faith, but he could not read until he went to college as a freshman. Imagine that. He taught himself how to read in college and became a prolific writer and he discovered that he had a photographic memory. He was a lump of clay that God made. Who am I? I'm not eloquent. He was not, but when you hear him talk, you say he is very eloquent. Very calm, very level-headed, very even-keeled. Not, you know, aggressive and losing control and fireworks go off. Just a really reasonable kind of a guy. And so, he reminds me of Moses who says, uh, I'm not eloquent. This man says, I, I can't even read. God says, I know what I'm doing. Who made you? this way who gave you the ability to have a photographic mind one of my missionaries has a photographic mind brother jones in mexico that's kind of a spooky character have a photographic mind remembers everything photographic mind so i'm trying to explain to you that moses was told by god you think you're unqualified you are but i made you the way you are and i will use your personality i will use your stubbornness i will use your anger i'll use your your being to do something for me. I made you this way, and I will use you this way. And so Moses doesn't buy that. Verse number 13, he says, get somebody else. And he said, oh my Lord, after all you've told me, oh my Lord, send, I pray thee. <clears throat> he didn't say, here am I, send me. He says, send, I pray thee, somebody else. <laughs> I pray thee by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Don't send me, send somebody else. Well, he still doesn't believe, or he's just stubborn. He's just hard-headed or self-willed. Now look at verse 14. 
The reason I said it is because in the next verse, verse number 14, God gets mad at him. Verse 14, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth, and with his mouth. And will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be, even he shall be to the to thee instead of a mouth. And thou shalt be to him instead of God. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. And so Moses would go with his brother Aaron. Now, uh, I want you to know that in verse number 14, God got mad at him. God got upset with him. God was angry with him. Now, in the Bible, God does not get angry unless, unless there is a rebelliousness about a man, about a situation, about total disobedience, about a problem. God does not get mad for trivial things, but he gets angry, and his anger is kindled because there is rebellion, there's direct disobedience, and he's angry about that. So when it comes to, as an example, if your father or mother, your child does something childish, the most childish thing to happen is at the dinner table, a child knocks over a glass of water or something. That's childishness, that's awkwardness. Uh, you don't get really upset with that. But if that happens a lot of times, you kind of suspect this guy's doing this to get my get my get me mad. Maybe so. But childish things you don't usually spank a child for. But rebellious things, that's when you get upset about that. Moses apparently was being belligerent. He's being stubborn. And because the anger of the Lord is kindled against him. Now here's a couple of verses for us to think about this. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, turn over there with me. Deuteronomy 7, verse 3 and 4. Chapter 7, verses 3 and 4 of Deuteronomy. Now the Lord has certain rules and do's and don'ts as they got into the, the wilderness, into the land. He said, don't do certain things, and he gives consequences for that. And sometimes the people who are very clear about what God says, they still rebel against him. In chapter 7, and verse number 3. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. The people of verse number 1. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter thou uh, shalt thou not take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger, so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy you suddenly. Now, this is about deliberate disobedience. They knew what God says, what he expected of them, and the delivery went against that. Whatever the reason were for them to get to fall in love with some beautiful pagan, heathen, ungodly woman, it happens all the time. But they were not to do that. God knew their temptation, and yet they still fell for that beautiful woman. They rebelled against his command. And God says about that, the anger of the Lord is kindled against you. Now, over in Joshua, turn to Joshua, chapter 7. Another example of many, just two of many, 
God was angry with Moses. Well, he gets angry at people, his people, that disobey him and deliberately go against what he said. Chapter 7 of Joshua. Verse number 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. So he made it very clear to them in the previous chapter not to do this when you spoil Jericho. But this man was tempted. This man took of the forbidden things, and God's anger was kindled against him. So you see that the Lord doesn't get angry for trivial things. You know, he gets angry about rebellious things, about turning your face from him directly, deliberate disobedience. Now, as I say, uh, for us today, for Christians like the Hebrews, there's what God said. Here's what he expects of us. You have a right to, you, you can choose to obey that or not obey that. If you choose to obey that, probably there's no need for you to get chastised. If you choose to disobey me, uh, okay, mistakes are mistakes, and God is forgiving, that's for sure. That's, God is merciful, that's for sure. But when it comes to the place of you actually deliberately, physic, figurative, raising your fist at God and saying, I don't care what you said, I'm going to do this because I want to do this. I owe it to myself. When it comes to that time where it's a man, a Christian, says to God with that figurative fist in his face up to the skies, he says, you know what, God? I know what you said, but I really don't care what you said about that. I'm going to do it anyway. With that kind of an attitude and with the commission of a, a, a sin, that's that's the kind of stuff that makes God angry. Okay? And God's angry at Moses. Now, um, there's an old sermon many decades ago. It's called, Don't Make God Mad. <laughs> and he goes into some of these things and other details. Don't make God mad. Now, have you ever thought that God gets mad every once in a while? Or is your concept of God this? Good. Hippie kind of love. A love bug. God is just so loving. No, listen. Thank God that God is love. Okay? Um, some person uh, on, on YouTube forgave a criminal who hurt their family and she said I forgive him because Jesus forgives and Jesus is love I said well that's mighty big of you to do that I'm not sure if I could do that for what happened but that'll be something to aspire to to be Christ like but that person thought God is only love Jesus is only love is Jesus well, of course not does the Lord ever get angry did Jesus ever get angry yes he did if, if people today, think, if Christians today think that the message to preach is God is love, that's all, that is only one-fifth of the message to preach. There's a lot more to preach than this, God is love. And we thank God that He is. He's merciful, He's long-suffering, He's patient to us. That's a blessing to know. That's all part of His nature. But a part of it too is that He gets angry at times. The secret is, don't get close to the place of you making God mad. So could God actually chastise and punish because he got upset with you? No, that'll never happen because this dispensation of grace. He'll never get mad. I don't know about that. 
Paul said one time, let this guy go to the devil for the destruction of the flesh. That's the body. Let the devil take him and, and take him and even kill him. That's okay. Destruction of the flesh. That's pretty severe. So you want to remember that um, God gets angry sometimes. He got mad at Moses. He got angry with him. Um, and you and I get angry about a lot of things too, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yes? No? Don't know? Raise your hand if you never got mad at anything. You never got mad at anything. Okay, wife, raise your hand. If you never got upset with your husband, raise your hand. I'm not looking. Now I am. Husband, have you ever got mad at your wife? Raise your hand. Okay, we have pretty sanctified people here. We've never met about these things. You know, I got mad at my wife so many times before when I was first married. Oh, brother. If you knew us the first three years of our marriage, you'd think we're not even Christian. Mostly me. I got so mad. I have a temper. I got so mad. And uh, sometimes, you know, look, I don't know if it's you or not, but me, Chinese guy, having problems with feelings, emotions, growing up, got so mad sometimes, you don't know what to say. You just cry. You just so mad. You can't say it. I mean, you, every customer that comes to mind, you can't even say, you're so mad. You ever got so mad like that? Oh, I forgot, you're sanctified. <laughs> I forgot, you never get to that place. You get so mad, you just, your jugular brain pops up here. You're just red as can be. You're so mad. You ever get like that? Nobody got like that? Oh, Jim, fake me out, he did this. <laughs> Somebody always about to raise their hand and they do something else. Oh, <laughs> I always get faked out. Oh, man. Well, I confess to you, being transparent, full disclosure, oh, I got so mad once I could not even talk to her because I was just so mad, just cried, so mad. Why don't you understand what I'm mad about? Don't you understand what I'm about? Don't you understand what I'm like? Don't you understand? Ooh! You ever get that ooh moments? Really? Unbelievable. We have got to heaven already, and we're so sanctified we're there. Unbelievable. I saw people robbing a store. It was all black people. Is that wrong to say? Well, that's what I saw. I saw black people in black masks and so on. Black people. They ran into this store. One was a uh, discount store, like um, leftovers that they put in this store. Dollar, dollar fifty for um, you know a crate or peaches, kind of place like that. The guy walked in with the wagon and made blow things up and go out the store. And somebody came up to him, tried to stop him, and this guy fought him off, the thief. And I'm thinking, watch that. This thief actually thinks he has a right to take someone else's food without paying for it. That got me burned up. Then I saw another situation at the high end store, one of these Neiman Marcus places. <laughs> this this lady had got a wagon full of stuff, coats and things. She's at the door, but she couldn't get out. And so some lady came over there, you put that back. You put that back. And she went up to her, actually. Maybe she got fired after this. But she said, you put that back. And the woman couldn't get out, so she just slapped at her, and she walked out the door. And the lady said, never, never come back again. Well, good for her. But this woman thought with the, the thief, she thought it was her privilege and her right. Maybe it's reparations. I don't know what it was. But she thought I had the right to take stuff that's not mine without paying for it. That made me mad. I mean, when Rodney King, that trial came up, you know, and the rats in L.A., that made me mad. The only people that didn't get robbed that day or that week was two Korean shop owners. They were on the rooftop with shotguns. They never got robbed. Everybody else got robbed, burned down. That stuff makes me mad. When I, when I see that kind of stuff going on, and you know what? That reminds me, 
God gets mad sometimes. You don't want to make God mad. Well, but pastor, God never, okay, well, good. He's never been upset with you, but sometimes he gets upset, and when he does, he's justified. Psalm says this, which is kind of a strange thing to think about. God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. What? God's angry with the wicked every day? Have you ever seen that verse in the Bible? God is angry with the wicked every day? What happened to the love of Jesus? God's angry with the wicked every day. Does that mean what it says? Well, I take the Bible literally where I can. I take that literally. He's angry with the wicked every day. Well, how come he doesn't smash them? Well, I don't know. Maybe because of his mercy, huh? Maybe because of his compassion, hmm? Maybe because he's long-suffering, okay? Now, would God be justified if he got mad at people and crushed them? I, I, that's the wrong word to use. Chastised them, punished them, sent bad things to them, burnt the crop down. Would he be justified if he got mad to that point? Yes. You should never get upset with God because he does something you think he shouldn't do. First of all, who are you to tell God what he should not do or what he should do? That's not our place. We're here. This is God. He has the justification and the right to do what he does. And if he gets upset with Moses, he has the right to be upset with Moses. The thing to draw from that, to take that, don't get God upset with you. So that causes you to walk carefully, not on eggshells, but to, to think uh, soberly and not live carelessly. Psalm 36 one tells us the transgressions of the wicked within, uh, I can't remember writing, but it does say, there's no fear of God before his eyes. There's no fear of God before his eyes. When someone doesn't fear God properly, then he's, I would say, eventually looking for some trouble coming from God. And you don't want that to happen. All right? The Lord let Aaron be the mouthpiece. In chapter 4, uh, verse 15, we've read that already. Uh, I'll tell Moses, I'll tell Aaron what to say. You, I'll tell you what to say. You tell Moses, Aaron, and then we'll tell Pharaoh. This is all good. It's all from God. And so tell us goodbye, chapter 18, uh, 18 verse 19, chapter 4. Uh, goodbye to the father-in-law. And uh, he goes to Pharaoh. Uh, he said the Pharaoh's dead. He can go on. And then in chapter 24, verse number 20, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, the new Pharaoh. And then in verse number 22 of chapter 4 of Exodus, verse 22. And thou shalt send to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Now, isn't that interesting? God says, Israel is like my firstborn son. If the Pharaoh will let him go, then I will slay his firstborn son. And you know about that plague, the last one. We'll cover that in due time. And so, um, interesting concept, interesting way of wording things and uh, can you imagine God actually wanting to kill not out of delight or pleasure but you don't let my, my firstborn son go to Israel I'm going to kill your firstborn son now take everything in its proper context don't 
isolate the words of the Bible and make God seem like a mean, harsh God. He is not. <coughs> he is not. And so don't take that the wrong way. And so uh, Moses, I'll have to wrap this up by telling you that Moses said, I'm not eloquent. The overarching truth is that he didn't feel like he was capable, that he was not usable, but he was. I'll close with this thought to us today. Um, what is usable in the hands of God? Or who is usable in the hands of God? From the Bible, we find out that God uses people that are busy, active, in doing the right things, like Gideon. God found Gideon threshing wheat, and uh, God used him to deliver his people out of the hands of the Midianites. So there's a principle there. God uses people that are busy in doing some right things, even busy in doing normal things like threshing wheat. That was his job. That was his thing to do, and he was doing that. He wasn't lazy. God uses people that are not lazy. God uses people that are doing something normally, and he sees something in that person that he can use. I have some A-B-L-E words. A-B-L-E. Able, by the way. <laughs> able. Able. Some able words to help us to think about the kind of people God can use. Moses says, I'm not eloquent. God says, I, I know you think that, but I made you. I know what I'm doing. I made your mouth. I'll put the words in my mouth. I'll make, I made you the way you are. You're that lump of clay I can form. Now, here are some people that God can use. And the last part of that word, the, the, the beginning part, is going to attach to the word able. Um, available people God can use. Available people. Those who say, I'm busy, but I want to do something for you, Lord. Whatever I can do, I'm available. Small things, I'll do that. I'll start there. I'm available to do small things. The other thing, the other characteristic I think God can use in people is that they are reliable. Reliable. If people are reliable, God can use them to do something if they're reliable. Reliable. That's a blessing to have people that are reliable. And that really ties into the other word, which is almost synonymous with reliable, and that's dependable. Dependable people are a blessing beyond measure. Dependable people, people that are reliable, they are great blessings to anybody. Uh, over at the Hilton, Carlton has a problem with his valets. These valets, they make good money. The tip schedule that he has negotiated with, with the union, they make good money. Tips vary from 800 to a thousand dollars to up to two thousand a month in tips the layers of tip that are negotiated for the valets besides their base pay which is not a whole lot everything's in the the the, the triple tiered tip system they can make a lot fifteen hundred dollars a month sometimes in just tips you know what these guys do <laughs> they call him sick they're not sick, but they've listened to the radio reports about surf. And the word is that surf's up on the North Shore, surf's up on the South Shore. You know what these guys do? They call in sick. They say, uh, uh, Mr. Carlton, they call him Mr. Mr. C. Mr. C, uh, I don't feel good today. And they fake a cough. I'm not feeling good today. They call in sick. He says, okay, fine. You calling in sick? I'll replace you for today, today's shift. So the guys go surfing. And uh, you know what they've done? They missed out on a day's pay, the triple schedule of tips to go surfing. He says, not my problem. They want to go surfing? 
forfeit their day's pay, not my problem. So now they're shorthanded one person. So now there's nine people on shift. Now nine people divide the pot of tips. So they get more. If this guy showed up, they divide 10 ways. They get less. These guys are hopeless. Other people call him sick. So they get more tips. And the guy's enjoying his surf. He's feeling good. But when he comes back to work, how'd it go? Oh yeah, we made, what? You made, oh, what about me? They say, what about you? You didn't show up for work. Now, dependable people are a real blessing, not only to, in, in, in what I'm saying, to God and to, to the church and to others, they're the blessing, they're a blessing to their own family. But when people are not dependable, you you, you can't depend on people. You, you can't, you can't, you cannot, they cannot be responsible. You cannot give them responsibility because they're not dependable. And that's just how the way it goes. Sometimes things are done because they're not dependable. Sometimes somebody else will replace them. But no matter how I look at this, people who are not dependable, they're not a blessing. They are a curse. They are not dependable. You can't trust them. They, they won't be there. They won't fulfill their little... They cannot do that because they're not dependable. Something always comes up. God cannot use someone like that, but God can use a Gideon. God can use a Moses. God will use his personality, his stubbornness, his anger even, to lead the people through the wilderness. There are some great journals of World War II. Most of them are hated by the liberals. And they are not the examples of what a general ought to be. Now, there's a famous general, but it wasn't for him. Perhaps World War II would have been different in its conclusion. But this one general, he got his glove and he slapped this soldier on the head because of whatever reason. I don't know what the context totally is, but he was just upset about something. And that guy, the, the soldier became the victim. And General Patton became the, the, the vile, vile, mean, nasty old man. We don't need generals like that. Do you know that MacArthur was vilified by the press and by Washington? He was supposedly insubordinate to um, President, I um, uh, can't think of his name, after Roosevelt. Um, that one. And he, Truman, he got called off the field because he was insubordinate. Well, you have to have a certain personality to win wars. And you have to have a certain kind of mindset to lead men. Now, whatever you think about these great generals, without them, the war would end differently. And without a Moses, things would be different. When those millions of people would complain against him and grab about him, we're thirsty, we're hungry. What kind of leader are you? You brought us out here to die. Ah, oh, man, what are we doing out here? No shade, no umbrella. No Coke machines, no vending machines, nothing like that. So uncomfortable, so hot, so hot. It's like August in Hawaii, so hot, so hot. It's like August in Texas, so hot. Oh, this is brutal. Why'd you bring us out here? It would take a certain kind of personality to endure that kind of nonsense. You know that? It would take a man with a backbone of steel to say, you know what? Come on, get over here. Stop drumming. Come on, come on. Get up, get up, get up, get up. Get up. Slap him on the helmet. It takes that kind of a man to leave. You know, today's generation, oh, that's so cruel, that's so mean. What to have his head, petition him to be taken off. No, he's, I like the book. Petty, petty, petty. You need to have somebody that's like a Moses. And God says, you're the man. You're the man. I want you to go back there and bring my people out. 
and the rest is history. There's more to come later on. But I like, I like, I like what I'm reading here. I like to see that God uh, can use someone who is flawed. Now, his flaws were different from saying, you know what, this guy's, we have in our generation so many instances of well-known megachurch pastors that have fallen to sin. It's not a pleasant thought, but it's a reality. And um, guy in New York, uh, just a bad character, a bad, bad character. Unfaithful to his wife, but he's very famous. He's very cool, but then uh, known to be just uh, immoral. And then he gets fired from his church. He gets disciplined, supposedly. And then a year later, he's at another church. We live in a generation which things like that are trivial. Oh, God is forgiving God's love. And there's no disqualification of being in the ministry because of the nature of the, the times that we're living in. There are some times in which a man forfeits a privilege because he has been sinful. And there are times in which there's mercy because, you know, it's incidental. Or you didn't pay a parking ticket, oh, whatever, you know. Or um, you get mad every once in a while. Stuff like that is so small compared to the really big kind of problems that people can have in the ministry. And so Moses' flaws were not like that. Now he had a temper for sure. We'll talk about that later on. But uh, God used someone like that who was flawed. That's kind of encouraging. God can use someone who's not perfect. look in the mirror and say I'm not perfect I'm flawed but thank God he's merciful long suffering and patient he works with us he helps us day by day to grow to change to conform to be more bent. thank God that he can use someone as goofy and as dumb and as ignorant and as lazy and all those kind of things and he helps you with those flaws he helps you to become better than that if you're lazy he helps to become less lazy if you're um, not students, you have to become more students, and so on like that. If you have a problem with your temper, you have to become less prone to blow up. See, so he's working with you. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. There's no excuse for sinning deliberately in your life as a Christian, expecting God to use you. You should be changing for Christ. You should be growing up. You should be becoming stronger and overcoming temptations even better nowadays. Even though you're flawed, God can use someone. All right, let's pray. Lord, I, help, I pray that you help us to um, learn some lessons from the life of Moses and the work that you had for him. And all these things are so interesting and so dramatic and so good as reminders that you can use people who are not perfect and flawed and not an excuse to be immoral or uh, derelict in Christian responsibilities. But it is good to know that you work with us not that you have to, but you do. And for some strange reason, you use people to get something done for you. And I pray that you help us, Lord, to be more fit for the Master's use. We may not learn these things just to be entertained or to add another notch to our understanding of the Bible, but cause it to help us to change some things about ourselves so that we can be more usable in your hands. Lord, help us, we pray, in these matters. And help your people to make up their minds to not be the same, but to conform to what you tell them, to be obedient to what you tell them. 
to have some guts and some courage to do what you want them to do. To stop making excuses. To start being the Christian that you intend for us to be. So continue to help us. Continue to lead us. Continue to work on us. Refining us. Molding us as the potter <coughs> and the clay images. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.